Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. So a couple months ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and, you know, there's just all this information on there. And especially over the last while, there's been so much about politics, but I, I pay attention more to the posts that are not, have nothing to do with politics, you know. And it used to be that we would post questions and like uh, ask people for help sometimes on Facebook. Now I just feel like most of the time people are just kind of airing and venting their own ideas, you know. But I did find a post like that that was asking for help. It was my aunt. She was asking if someone could help drive her mom to the hospital for a surgery. I think it was an endoscopy, colonoscopy operation. And I think it was just a routine thing. They were just checking and and stuff. So that was good. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I've got a flexible schedule. I can do that. It's the middle of the week. She couldn't get off work to take her mom. And so I said, well, just shoot me the details. Send me a text. What time? You know, where does she live? What hospital? Am I going to need to wait at the hospital because I might need to get childcare then for my daughter and that kind of thing? And we coordinated and I did end up picking up her mom and I hadn't seen uh, her mom for quite some time. And, but she actually knew a lot of my life story. Like she had been caught up by her daughter about us moving back to Oregon and about my daughter being born and what I was doing for the last several years in Southern California. So it was fun to visit with her on the ride uh, to the hospital. And I got her checked in without a hitch and everything like that. They told me how long it was estimated to take. And so I I put that in my calendar. Okay, I'm going to set an alarm, make sure I'm back at the hospital in time. And they said, well, we'll call you. Uh, when it's time to pick her up as well. And I said, okay, but I didn't want to be late. So I, I, I was making sure, okay, I need to be back by five o'clock or 5.30 at the latest. And I was getting antsy about 5.30. I was like waiting for their phone call. They didn't, hadn't called me yet. So I thought, well, maybe they've misplaced my phone number or maybe uh, she, you know, she didn't have her cell phone with her. And so I thought, oh my goodness, I got to make sure that I'm at the hospital. So just as dinner was being served at our house, I decided, okay, I better... I better go. And um, I arrived at the hospital, and if you've been there now, especially during COVID, it, it kind of shuts down when the visiting hours end, right? And, and everything, I wasn't even in the hospital side, I was in the clinic side, but there was no one in that whole wing of the hospital. I mean, I saw like a janitor doing cleaning, that was like it. So I'm taking the elevator, I'm riding out, you know, I'm at, uh, at the hospital and I just feel totally out of place. Finally, a nurse spots me in the waiting room and she's like, what are you doing here? It's like six o'clock, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I'm waiting for Linda to get out of her, her surgery. And they said, well, uh, she, she got a delay, the doctors couldn't get to her yet. And so she waited for several hours. She didn't get into surgery until just a little while ago. She's still in surgery right now and they're gonna need a half an hour after she gets out. So that's what we were planning to do is we were going to call you when she got out and then you'd have 30 minutes to get here. So now I'm feeling like I missed dinner for no reason and I'm sitting here for the last hour for no reason and I'm going to be here for at least another 30 minutes plus whatever time it takes for the surgery to finish up. So I felt foolish, right? Have you been in that situation where you feel like you're waiting around for no reason? And... Um, you know, it feels like I was just wasting time. Uh, I think today 
I want to talk a little bit about what it would look like to shift our waiting to watching, to where we don't feel like we're wasting time while we're waiting. And so I have a couple characters that for us to look at in the Christmas uh, story. So you may be familiar with these characters from Luke chapter 2. Um, Luke chapter 2, we're going to look in at verses 22 through 40. And this is um, after Jesus is born and he goes to the temple for the first time. His parents have to take him there because of uh, the, what's in the Jewish law. It'd be kind of like for us doing a baby dedication at church or um, some of these other things that, that we kind of find important, taking him around to see family and friends. So as uh, I'll pick up the, the verses here in 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So it's kind of an interesting setting, something we're a little less, a uh, little removed from this idea that you go and you say, I'm going to share my child with God. I'm going to say they are, they are going to live for God. And part of how you kind of made that commitment is you offered these sacrifices that were in the book of Leviticus. And there's a lot to why the significance of the different animals and what they were for. But really, I, I think of the great story of uh, Samuel in the Old Testament as kind of a, a foreshadow. What Luke is doing is he's saying, just like Samuel was brought to the temple of God or the tabernacle at the time, and then he worked in service of God, Jesus is also going to be dedicated to God and going to be then a servant of God. And for each of us, we think of our own ways in which we can purify our hearts, set apart our lives, for service before God. And so that's what the, the family is doing. They just did it in a very um, kind of specific way with these sacrifices. So verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have promised, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him and i wonder if there's a little like marvel or a little fear like this our baby that's very young i mean i i held my baby it seems like it was just the other day it was actually two years ago uh this week that my daughter was born and when they're new like that they're so precious you don't want to you don't even want to hand them off because you just fear that they're going to get dropped and um, and so as i think about this like simeon just comes in and he just swoops in and he just grabs the baby and he starts like holding it up and kind of Lion King-esque blessing the baby. And, and we're just kind of like, ah, you know, um, I don't even know if they could pay attention to what was being said, right? They're, they're so focused on the care of the child, right? But, but there's some pretty important words. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But then as Simeon finishes up after blessing them, he then turns to Mary and says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Oh, disturbing. Okay, but then it continues. It's like one kind of act after another. If this was like a, a play or a, um, a musical, if you will, I just was watching some Disney Plus uh, remakes of the old uh, cartoons, like Aladdin, and it was more like a musical now. And, and so it would be kind of like Simeon finishes his song and says this kind of ominous phrase about piercing Mary's heart, and then the curtain closes, and up comes the curtain, and there is Anna. And she has something to say. Uh, so there was a prophet, Anna, who's the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. If you don't catch this, she's been married for seven years. And then after her marriage, she was a widow until she was 84. And actually, there's probably a note maybe in your Bible even that might say, well, we're not sure if she was a widow until she was 84 or she was widowed for 84 years. So either way, she's kind of ancient. It is what we're trying to get here. She's older. Um, and then, uh, so she was a widow there. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So I... As I was doing some studying, I, I read about a key maker in Portland uh, who says that one word transformed his business. If you're uh, thinking about this, he's a, he's a key maker. So it's kind of an interesting idea here. He, he said in the sign of his shop, he had uh, in the window of his shop, he had a sign that said, keys made while you wait. Right? You've probably seen like a, a locksmith or something like that. Keys made while you wait. That makes sense. And he said, but actually... I don't think people like to wait. So he changed the word from uh, keys made while you wait to keys made while you watch. And I wonder if the same is true for us, is if we shifted our focus, if we changed the emphasis, right? This, the same thing happens. You walk into the key shop and you give the guy the key. The key gets made. You're waiting for the key to get made. But if you're initial idea and perception about that experience is that you're getting to watch something, an art craft, a crafting of a key. It, it moves from being just a wasted five minutes for him to grind that key together to a five minutes of exploring art and beauty and, and maybe I'm stretching the analogy a little bit. But um, I think in Simeon and Anna's case, uh, we learn from them what it might mean to transform our waiting into watching. They're not wasting time, right? They're diligently attentive and watchful and were prepared for Jesus' coming, so much so that they were ready to see a little child, to receive that child, to speak words of blessing over that child. Um, so I, I think it's worth looking a little bit about who these characters are and um, what they're waiting, the way that they waited, um, leads to in maybe our life as well. So the, the text speaks about Simeon, that he was a devout man. Um, and then it also talks about Anna as well as being someone who, who was fasting and praying. Um, these are character traits of them. And so as we think about um, Advent is a season of preparation, as a preparation time for us, in this story we see Simeon and Anna preparing, being attentive and waiting 
in preparation. Um, first, it's important to note that the Spirit of God was upon them. So uh, throughout the Gospel of Luke, if you read through, you'll hear this term or read this term about the Spirit of God filling different individuals. So if you've read uh, the Christmas story several times, you'll see in the early parts of Luke, there's these songs that happen, like Mary's song. And, um, and it seems to be that this filling from the Lord's Spirit does things. It motivates people to do certain things. And in this story specifically, Anna is then moved to recognize the child and to speak these words um, and to then share that with anybody who will listen. And earlier on, Simeon is moved to actually come to the temple at the exact moment when the parents are there with the baby. Um, so I, I wonder, though, if someone was to comment about our waiting, if they were to write about our life and your life, what would they say about how you live, about how you wait in the unknown and the uncertainty of your life? What words or character traits would they say about you? One of the terms that we use a lot around this time is that the coming of Jesus is called the incarnation, the incarnation of God, which means God becoming human. And I love how um, Eugene Peterson, who was the author of the Message translation of the Bible, he puts it this way in John 1, 14. He says, Jesus is the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So I, I think about like wherever your house is, maybe you don't have a lot of close, close neighbors, but you can think of your little towns or your little areas as a neighborhood. This little Franklin community is a neighborhood, if you will. I'm not sure if it's incorporated as a town or not, but I live in River Road neighborhood. It's not a town outside of Eugene. It's part of Eugene, but it's still a neighborhood. And there's specific things about our neighborhoods. And so I, I think about um, what would happen if the president of the United States moved into my neighborhood? Right? What would be different about how I lived, about how I acted, about how I cared for my yard or uh, did, uh, dealt with the trash and the garbage around my place? So if Jesus moved next door, if he moved in to the neighborhood, what would change about your life? Would you clean up that pile of garbage or rake those leaves a little bit more or trim those bushes or wash the windows? I think what Simeon and Anna teach us is that in waiting, the, in, it, that in, uh, if waiting is to become watching, then we need to develop godly character in that waiting time. Right? We, we need to wash the windows of our soul, if you will, so that when Jesus moves next door, moves in, it's not like he doesn't have a clue who you are or doesn't want to be around you. Um, and I think this is something to be celebrated. It's not something to kind of cause the fear of God necessarily to be in us. I, I think it should. A healthy sense of fear is, is not a bad thing. But I think there's, uh, there's a reality that most of the time Jesus is living next door. I think there are I think scripture resoundingly says that God has come near in Jesus. This is not something that has to, that you have to do something. You don't have to clean up your life for Jesus to move in next door. What actually you need to do is clean up your life so you can recognize Jesus who is already next door. Right? It's not that Jesus is is coming. It's that Jesus is here and we're just often not able to recognize Jesus. Too many of us are asleep at the wheel, if you will, or bored in the waiting room and distracted by the many and bright, shiny things that are vying for our attention. And so unlike Simeon and Anna, we don't see the Christ child 
when he comes next door. I think it's interesting um, about these two people as well that we, we get this sense that they're old. Now, we don't know their exact ages. As I mentioned, Anna, it's a little confusing. She's either 84 or she's been a widow for 84 years. And if she was, then that certainly she'd be like over 100 probably, even if she was married very young. But Simeon, it, we don't get his age. We just, in his prophecy kind of here, it, it seems to say that he thinks his death is imminent. He thinks that he's old and ready to go, ready to depart. Um, and if you've ever been around somebody like that, that has lived a, a, a long and healthy life and they've loved life and they've had good experiences, there's a time when you feel like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And it's a beautiful thing when people reach that moment when they're content with living on or content with going. And that's, a, that's something that's a, a beauty to behold. It doesn't happen, I think, very, very often. But Simeon and Anna, I think, um, teach us something about the older people in our lives. Um, because I think our culture idolizes youthfulness. And I say this as a 29-year-old, but um, I've learned a lot that in churches, our biggest question usually is where are the youth? Where are the young people? And as I've worked with young people in churches, I'm often tasked with that job of making church more appealing for young people. And I think that sometimes that's not a bad thing to, uh, to ask, but I think sometimes it's the wrong question because I don't know that church is all about youthfulness. I think that might be what Americans are all about and that we value young people and youthfulness. And it's easy to criti criticize like the rich people who, um, who pay for all the surgeries and the drugs to stay young looking, right? But I think all of us fall prey to the addiction to put off and to push death to the margins. And so when we don't care for the aging among us, when we don't value the people who are older, then we can sometimes uh, just kind of avoid the reality of our own aging and what it might teach us. And so I think sometimes the beauty of being in a smaller church is the fact that we grow old together. And that's not a bad thing. I think too often we, we say that's a bad thing. Oh, this church is dying because it's older. That's not true about most churches. Okay? Um, so hear that. I don't want to say that young people don't matter. But today I want to talk about how aging and older people do matter from the example of Simeon and Anna. So... Um, it, I think uh, one of the reasons we push death to the margins, maybe it's uh, by sending people to uh, professional funeral homes or long-term care facilities. We don't care for those things as much ourselves. Um, it's often because society isn't comfortable with the fact that it's aging and our mortality rate is still 100%. So if you're expecting it to change, um, everyone died, even Jesus died. And so the gospel is not good news you don't have to die. It's in fact actually good news because you can embrace your death. Dying is not the last word. We believe that in dying we are born to eternal life with Christ. So one of the guys that I've read a lot about aging um, is Henry Nouwen. And he actually worked um, as a guy in Harvard. He was really, really world-respected author and Christian writer. He went and was a missionary in South America. He did all these really productive things in society. And then right at the peak of his career, 
he gave it up to go work in a, a place where he was a live-in care uh, with people of mental uh, handicap, mental disabilities. So people who were from uh, the stage of they can talk, but they just can't express themselves very clearly to all the way to people who could not even uh, ex talk, use language. Um, to people who were physically able to walk around and move around, to people who were not able to care for themselves, even to bathe themselves. So um, Nowen was a, a priest who lived in community with these, these people. And he says this about um, this subject of, of caring for the elderly. He said, to care for the elderly means that we allow them to make us poor by inviting us to give up the illusion that we created our own life and that nothing and nobody can take it away from us. So this poverty, which is an inner detachment, can make us free to receive the old stranger into our lives and make that person into a most intimate friend. When we care, uh, sorry, when care has helped us detach from the illusion of immortality, we can really become present to the elderly. We can then listen to what they have to say without worrying about how we can answer. We can pay attention to what they have to offer without being concerned about what we can give. We can see what they are in themselves without wondering what we can be for them. When we have emptied ourselves of false occupations and preoccupations, we can offer free space to the old strangers where not only bread and wine, but also the story of life can be shared. So I think the likelihood of Simeon and Anna's neighbors um, is that they weren't listening to Simeon and Anna very well. Simeon was probably talking about this consolation, this coming Christ of, of, for Israel, and what it might be, how it will be a little bit different than what his friends might have expected. And Anna was spending day in and day uh, and night, day and night at the temple. And I wonder if the people there just dismissed her prophetic words with a kind but demeaning smile that said, oh, Sister Anna, bless your heart. Still waiting around and talking about God's consolation. All right. Go stand over there. I'll listen to you when I need to, but uh, uh, not right now. So who are the Simeon and Annas in our life, maybe, that we too quickly dismiss? What if during this Advent, this waiting time, we truly leaned in and listened and paid attention to these people? I believe now and it is right, um, that this requires getting over ourselves, that we need to set aside the things that take up all of our attention. And so I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about maybe a practice that might help us empty ourselves a little bit um, and, and be a, a form of listening. So uh, if we talk about what Anna and Simeon are waiting for here for a moment, it, it, uh, it talks about Simeon being a righteous and devout man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So this term consolation is kind of an interesting phrase. Um, in Simeon's Song of Blessing, he quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah the prophet, actually. So if you have a Bible that sets them off in kind of a poetic quotation, that's because it's, it's making it obvious to you that this is something that Simeon didn't come up with on his own. He's quoting something. He's remembering a prophecy of old. Um, so Simeon lived in a time where Israel had been ruled by, uh, by a foreign empire. And um, if you think about like modern day Eastern Europe and the USSR and how they were ruling these different countries that weren't 
originally part of Russia and then now even still to this day, uh, those countries still feel uh, some repercussions from those many years of occupation. So this would be the, the emotional state, if you will, of the Israelites now because they've been under foreign rule for many, many generations and we're still at this time under Rome. So this consolation, um, which if you kind of work at the word there, uh, console, which I think is a better word like comfort, right? God is comforting uh, Simeon, or that's what Simeon is waiting for. He's waiting for God's comfort. So many assumed that like there were different, several uh, practical implications of how God's comfort would would look. Maybe God would raise up a leader like in the book of Judges who would save the people from this occupier, uh, this occupying force. Or maybe it would be a military commander like Joshua who would help conquer the nations that had conquered them and overthrow them. Or maybe it was a king um, like David who was going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and they were going to become the world influence that they always dreamed that they would be. And there were a lot of uprisings actually just Several years before Jesus was born, um, there was an uprising called the Maccabean Revolt, and they all failed. They were attempts to try and overthrow the Roman Empire. Sometimes they did kick the Romans out of the country, but then Rome would just come back in and wipe them out, or uh, the different empires would do it. And so this theme, I think, runs throughout... um, Or sorry, there is another. There was another side to the coin, a more spiritual, if you will, idea of what the comfort or consolation of God was, and it was uh, about how Israel would be a witness to the whole world of who God is. So this theme runs throughout the Old Testament, and I think it picks up very much in uh, in the quotes that Simeon does from Isaiah. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. So in the earliest parts of the Bible in Genesis, Abram is told that his descendants will be a conduit by which the whole world will be blessed. And Simeon's day, they were hoping for this military leader and Jesus came as a suffering servant. He never raised a fist, but died a humiliating death on a cross. He never rebelled against Rome. They were hoping to be the chosen people and uh, who the world needed to look up to. And instead, Jesus came and says, "I, I choose all people. God cares for every race, every tribe, every tongue. So what are you hoping for? What are you hoping will comfort you? What basket, if you will, Are you putting your eggs in? What is your consolation? I find it interesting that the same um, word used here in in Luke's gospel, in the original language for consolation, is the same root word that the gospel writers use when they speak of God's spirit. What would it look like for us to put our comfort in the comforter, right? Our consolation in the consoler, right? The person who's doing that. Um... So Simeon's words to Mary, I think, are are some words that I I find really, really interesting. Right after he blesses the baby and quotes from Isaiah, then he turns to Mary. And uh, it's great and it's positive until the last little bit. It gets a little disturbing. A sword will pierce your own soul, right? Um, Way to end on a high note, Simeon. (laughs) It's like, what? Uh, I feel like this is the moment that Mary then grabbed the baby back and said, 
with kind of a look of like, you're a crazy old man, you know? Um, and then just turns to Joseph politely and says, okay, I think we need to go, please. Um, I've definitely been there when my wife is like, it's time to go, it's time to go. You know, how, do I, how can I make this as obvious to you as possible without offending the person who I just ripped the baby back from? But I think sometimes what's said by the elderly in our lives, um, the words of Simeon, just like the words of Simeon, they unearth like hidden anxieties and uneasy feelings in us, right? Um, and so uh, Henry Nowen kind of talks a little bit about this. It's no secret that many of our suggestions and advice and admonitions and good words are often offered in order to keep distance rather than allow closeness. When we're primarily concerned with giving old people something to do, offering them entertainment and distractions, we might avoid the painful realizations that most people don't want to be distracted but heard, not entertained but sustained. And I believe the same is true for each of us. We often offer people religious busyness. We, we offer them distraction to keep the distance from each other. But if we listen and pay attention to what a Simeon says, we discover something significant about Jesus. So in these disturbing words that Simeon says, he talks about Jesus bringing light that will cause falling and rising in Israel. And uh, one of the commentators, Fred Craddock, put it this way, Jesus will bring truth to light and in so doing, throw all who come into contact with him into a crisis of decision. It's a decision where the rising and falling life and death result. So, the decision really is, is your life a movement toward or away from God? And so um, if you think about it in a room, if anyone turns the lights on, they create shadows too. Um, we, we benefit from lights that are top down and they're very strong and so there's not that much shadows, right? But there's still some shadows in here from the curtains and from our bodies wherever the light doesn't come. And so if you think about it, when light is turned on, it brings good things. It brings salvation for us. That's what Jesus came to bring. But it also creates shadows, showing the difference between a life lived with God and a life lived separated from God. And so now that the light is here, we no longer live in darkness. We're no longer wandering and wondering, what does God want? What does bring uh, us into relationship with God? But now we know, and it's really something that pierces our very souls. See, the consolation and comfort Jesus brings is also going to pierce through us, creating shadows where we're living self-centered and putting our hope in the wrong things. So how will you wait? Simeon and Anna were watchful. They, they prepared and were awake um, by being at the temple, by prayer and fasting, by being devout and righteous. Um, what might some of those practices look like for you uh, to help you form the character of Simeon and Anna to be attentive to, to when the Christ child comes into the neighborhood? I think the temptation here is to succumb to our culture's infatuation with pr productivity. So I don't want to be idle. I don't want to just twiddle my thumbs and wait around. I don't want to be bored. I don't want to sit still because stillness is laziness, right? So we want to do something practical and helpful and useful where we're compelled to add value to someone or something, a contribution for the greater good to make us feel 
worthy. But actually, I think maybe there's something different that we should be doing. That maybe we need to think a little bit more about that idea of wasting time. So a practice that I'll challenge you to look up or maybe explore is called contemplative prayer. And it's a form of prayer where you just simply sit with God. That rather than bringing your requests or your praises to God, which is a form of prayer, those, that's an important part of prayer. Uh, rather than praying for those that are ill, which is kind of a, a, a prayer for the needs of others, that's an important form of prayer. But there's also a form of prayer where you simply sit and waste time with God. And I think we need this kind of prayer in our lives in this day and age. It stands in stark contrast to our hyperproductive culture. It's a sort of prayer that's not useful or practical. It's simply to waste time for and with God. We need this sort of wasting time to interrupt our busyness and also witness to those around us that God is the one who creates, who saves, and who holds the whole world together. So Anna and Simeon were waiting, and I think the people around them would have said, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time sitting in the temple daily praying and fasting. The people that hung out with them would have said the practices that they gave their life to were not productive, were not adding value to the world, were not for the greater good. They didn't have a comfortable retirement or a fancy house. Instead, they spent their time wasted with God. I think we might um, have commented too when we saw them that they seemed lost. Right? So perhaps we need to regain a sense of being lost in waiting, right? A sense of wasting time with God. I believe Simeon and Anna were in the words of of Charles Wesley, who uh, had some great ways of using words. He said that we need to be lost in wonder, love, and praise of God. So let's, let's pray. God, may we be people who are lost in the wonder Uh, in the praise and the love of you. May we be people who are criticized as wasting time. Uh, May we uh, be watchful in our waiting, um, so much so that we don't miss the Christ child coming to visit. Um, This Christmas season, as we again wait um, for a celebration of of Jesus' birth, and as we also look ahead, um, as we are waiting constantly for uh, your true consolation, the, the, the salvation of all people. Um, may we be people who are watchful and attentive um, to your spirit and what you're doing. Uh, God, I'm thankful for uh, the older people in my life, and may we truly listen to them more than we have been. Um, may we listen to the Simeon and Annas as they speak to us the words of blessing and also uh, some words that, that make us a little uneasy, that remind us... Uh, that your light brings a crisis of decision that we need to choose every day uh, to live for you. Uh, so help us to wake up uh, in this Christmas season and, uh, and be people who are, are watchful and waiting. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as a benediction, um, I thought it would be helpful to have a practice. So one of the ways that I pray uh, when I'm wanting to be intentional about kind of listening to God is to take different postures as I pray. So um, there was a youth group uh, thing that was really funny that I showed to students and it was called Exploring Prayer Positions. 
and uh, it was meant to be kind of a satire, but uh, basically they talked a lot about holding your hands up and um, maybe, you know, they doing different yoga pose. It was very funny. But there's a real sense in the way that you sit and the way that your body is that can help you actually kind of think differently about the way that you are. So um, I'm not trying to get super new agey with you, but I do think that when you sit slouched, you tend to not feel as good. When you sit upright, you tend to feel a little bit more positive and happy. And so likewise, the way that you use your hands, if you fold your hands, you might kind of be thoughtful. Um, if you put your hands up, you might be kind of, it's an exercise, and you might be kind of trying to praise, saying that it's helpful. And so for listening, I think it's helpful to take an open hands posture. So what I typically do is place my hands on my lap uh, so that I don't have to like hold them up. And I just simply put my palms up, face them up. And then I sit in silence as I listen. Um, and sometimes uh, I try and journal afterwards and I go, oh man, God spoke to me. Uh, sometimes I try and read a Bible verse to kind of help my mind uh, focus. Um, but I was told by a mentor that uh, centering prayer or contemplative prayer is actually not something uh, that is anything of your business. He, he put it this way. He's like, the transformation God is doing on your heart is none of your business. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. So what if the surrender or the open hands posture was to say, God, even with how I'm sitting with you in prayer today, I am not trying to change myself. It's not under my power that I'm going to change myself. I'm simply surrendering and letting you do your work. It's none of my business in this time of waiting. So may you wait with the careful watchfulness of Simeon and Anna to see the light of God's comfort in your life. In the light and truth of Christ, may you make decisions to remove the distractions so that you can truly lose yourself in the wonder, love, and praise that is wasting time with God. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.